Well, good evening, Summit Church. Welcome, all of you. Like Brian said, my name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, thank you so much for being here tonight. We're excited that you're here, especially when it's like 10 degrees outside. Good night. It is cold. But the fact that you came really means a lot to us, so thanks for being here. As Brian said, uh, for the last five weeks, we've been studying through the book of Genesis, and this has been a particularly exciting series. And so if you haven't been here for the last couple weeks, I'd encourage you to go online. You can see some of the previous messages that were given. You can uh, listen to those. Uh, I think they'd really be worth your time. But, you know, one of my favorite things about this series so far uh, has been this book, the Bible. Um, This has been really exciting for the life of our church because for a lot of people here, um, the Bible really hasn't made a lot of sense in their lives. Or, you know, at the very least, it's been something that hasn't been incredibly relevant to their lives on a daily basis. And, and so we've been going through the Bible, and we've been looking at the, at the story of the Bible, and it's been particularly exciting for, for a lot of people in our church because we've had, we've had a number of people that said, for the first time in my life, I'm able to look at this story, and I'm able to see myself in it. I'm able to read this book, and I'm able to see myself, and I'm able to see what God is saying about me and what God is saying to me in a brand new way. And for us, that's really exciting. That's really exciting because we've always said from the very beginning, we believe that this book is a book that just it resonates with all people. It's a book that resonates with all people from all times, from all different places. We believe it's a timeless story because it's a story of God's grace. It's a story of grace, and regardless of, of your upbringing or regardless of your background or regardless of your experience with church or religion, we've realized that this is a story about Jesus that continues to change lives again and again and again. It's continued to change lives of people here in our church and people in our city. And and for that reason, we're incredibly, incredibly excited. Now, some of you have been a part of our church from the very beginning. Some of you have kind of seen us grow in a number of different ways, regardless of when you joined the Summit family. But for those of you who had kind of insight into us from the very beginning, we started off as a group of about eight or ten people meeting in a living room. It was a little weird. Um, But we would get together the same way we are tonight on Sunday evenings, and we would just kind of talk about life. We would talk about the Bible. We would talk about Jesus and things like that. And um, as we continued to grow and more and more people from our city kind of joined our community here, I actually remember at one point um, I was interviewed by a uh, a local journalist, and she was just asking questions about our church and, and, and what it looks like for us. And the more she heard about us growing, the more she heard about people coming and being connected to what we're doing and our, our vision for the city, at one point she stopped me and she said, are you guys a cult? And I remember when she asked me that question, I kind of laughed at that. I was like, no, we're not a cult, but I could see how that you know, might come off um, when we have these people meeting and gathering regularly. But, um, you know, one of, the things that, um, one of the things that we've really seen over the last several months that's been particularly exciting as we've continued to grow and grow and grow is all kinds of things happening in the lives of people. You know, we've seen here, I mean, you know, just even here tonight as we look out, we have nearly 100 people gathering, way too large to meet in a living room tonight. And we have, you know, throughout the week, dozens more people that are meeting in homes throughout our city where they're sharing life together, they're sharing meals together, they're sharing some of the most compelling stories that you've ever heard. Stories about the, stories about the homeless in Denver that are being served in radical ways. Stories about refugee families that are being adopted here in our, in our city. Stories about local elementary schools that are being dramatically impacted by people from within our church. Even stories of your own lives. I mean, many of you were here just a few weeks ago when we baptized a number of people right here in a horse trough. Because that's all we could afford. <laughs> and we, you know, we're seeing all kinds of things like this happen in our community. And the, and the really neat thing about that is it's not even limited to our community. It's not even limited to our church, really. 
You know, all these exciting things and, and, and growth occurring and passion really uniting together. We're seeing things happen across our country. We're seeing because of your generosity and the way that you guys are giving, we're seeing more and more churches, we're seeing more and more churches started across our country in other influential U.S. cities because of you guys. We're seeing missionaries sent to other countries like India, men and women and families that are leaving and going and starting churches and telling other people and showing other people what it looks like to follow Jesus. And that is so exciting. You know, for us, when we look at that, when we see that, and we kind of just think about all the different things that have happened over the last year, we can't help but get excited. I know for many of us, we look at that and we just say, that is something so exciting, and I just love the idea of being a part of that. One of the things I've realized about myself and probably about you as well is that when we look at something like that, a movement like that, being swept up in something bigger than ourselves, something that is meaningful and intentional, we realize that we all long for a cause. We all long for a cause like that. Now, if you were to kind of look around the room tonight and different people sitting here, you'd notice that the majority of people, not everyone here, but the majority of people sitting in this room tonight are a part of the millennial generation. The millennial generation, you've noticed that a lot of us are uh, kind of fit into that. And um, the more I learn about the millennial generation, the more I kind of study and research what um, sociologists or politicians or just other significant leaders in our country are saying about the millennial generation, the more fascinated I, be- I can become with that. Um, one of the most interesting things, and I'll have to admit it up front, it's almost a universal fact, though. The millennial generation, you know, ourselves, everyone in this room, for the most part, we are considered one of the most arrogant one of the whiniest, I hear a mm-hmm down from the front row. <laughs> one of the most arrogant, one of the whiniest generations of all time. Okay, so that's like, what, you know, that's like kind of working against us. But on the other hand, one of the neat things about the millennial generation is that we are considered one of the most informed, one of the most engaged, and one of the most powerful generations our country has ever seen. One of the most informed, one of the most engaged, one of the most powerful generations our country has ever seen. We are socially minded. We are politically aware. We are environmentally concerned. We are sexually explorative. We are culturally tolerant. And and at our core, we are cause-driven and cause-motivated. That is what defines us in our generation. I mean, you can, that goes anything from um, the products that we buy. You can think Tom's shoes. That, that goes to the, uh, the places we shop. Think Whole Foods or other local grocery marts like that. The, um, the organizations we support, the nonprofits we help, the politicians we endorse. Everything is driven by a cause because we long for a cause to support. On the flip side of that, the, the irony there, really the great dilemma, especially within our generation, that most often, although we are longing for a cause and we are eager to be a part of a cause, what we've learned about the millennial generation, and this isn't even unique to the millennial generation, is that, that although we long for a cause, ultimately when it comes down to it at our core, we long for a cause, cause that benefits ourselves. We long for a cause that benefits ourselves. You know, maybe you, um, maybe you saw the Super Bowl last weekend, and um, you know, there was the halftime show specifically where you had 53-year-old Madonna being carried in by Egyptian soldiers, and uh, she's you know, dancing and doing cartwheels while singing I'm Sexy and I Know It, which is just, you know, let's be honest, that's a little weird, isn't it? I mean, it's almost like someone my mom's age getting up there and doing something like that, which is just really strange. I don't want to think about that, but you, know, you have Madonna up there, and you have CeeLo and MIA, and they put on this fantastic show, which is just kind of strange all around, but you know, at the end of it, here's the interesting part. At the end of it, this is what happens. You've got um, all the lights come down, and then all of a sudden the words, world 
peace are projected across the field, right? Do you guys remember this? World peace is projected. The crowds go wild. Everyone is excited. you got like the cell phones waving in the sky. And it's like, yeah, world peace. Let's play some football, <laughs> right? It's like really ironic. It's kind of strange. I mean, so on one side, you've got this rally cry for world peace. And especially if you're at home watching the game, on the other side, you've got advertisement after advertisement after advertisement, which we all know costs like millions of dollars per slot, all advertising the car that you should drive, the phone that you should buy, the beer that you should drink, and not even to mention it's a four-hour event completely devoted to your entertainment. Now, obviously, to be clear, none of these things in and of themselves are bad. You know, the football or beer or cars or anything like that, the cell phones, none of these things are bad. But if we were to be honest with ourselves, if we were to be honest with ourselves for just a moment, when we kind of think about that world peace rally cry and then, you know, all these things that are completely centered on us and our own desires, I think we have to be honest and say, you know what, we're probably driven a lot more by those things than we are this slogan for world peace. We have to be, you know, honest with ourselves. You know, if if I'm honest with myself, I would say I'm probably a lot more willing to fight for my own cell phone and my car than I am this world peace idea. The reality reality of that is, is that we all long for a cause. But in the end, we probably are more willing to fight for a cause that benefits ourselves. And the reality is also that we've probably been conditioned to do this. You know, that, you know, if we think about probably every good-hearted parent at some point in your life, you've heard you know, them say to you, you know, when it comes down to it, you've got to do what makes you happy. Yes. Or every good-hearted teacher, especially if you grew up in America, is always going to tell you, you can do whatever you want to do. You can be whatever you want to be. Is that true? Of course it's not true. You can't be whatever you want to be. You can't do whatever you want to do. But we continue to foster this mentality that it is all about you. This week, actually, I read a really interesting article about the Occupy movement. You know, the Occupy movement started in Wall Street uh, and then continued to expand to all the major cities across our country. And the thrust of this article, the main point of it, was just to examine the question, whose fault is it? Who do we blame? Who do we ultimately cast the blame to? Is it the local politicians? Is it the General Assembly? Is it the bank owners? Is it the people? Who do we ultimately blame? And the, and the, the article actually ends, it culminates with this quote by a, a prominent professor at a New England university. He's commenting on you know, the national debt and our economic condition and all these things. And he says in the end, he says the, the primary reason, the primary reason for America's economic and social circumstances right now comes, to one, comes down to one thing. For the last 25 years, all people have been guided by one predominant philosophy, and that is, I'm looking out for number one. I'm looking out for number one. The dilemma that we all face is that we long for a cause. We all long for a cause. But what if the cause that we long for is not the cause that we were created for? What if the the cause that we long for is not the cause that we were created for? As we look here in Genesis chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to look here at this story, the city of Babel, which will later be recognized as Babylon, which you've probably all heard of. We're going to start here in verse 1, and as we look at this story, probably on the surface appears like these are people in a context that we can't relate to. But I think the more we see, the more we'll realize that we have much in common. Look here in verse 1. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. 
Okay, so right now the world consists of one language, one people, one set of vocabulary. It's, it's already painting a much bit different picture than what we're used to, right? There's no need for high school Spanish. There are no map quizzes. There's no Rosetta Stone. None of those things. You've got one world, one people, one language. Okay, now, you know, maybe you're not aware of this, but right now, in our world right now, we have almost 7,000 different languages. 7,000 different languages that circle around our globe. And behind every single language, there is a unique culture, a unique set of beliefs, a unique system of government, just a unique way to do life. And language... Language is that thing that unites people. Language is how people understand one another, how they're intimate with one another, how they dialogue with one another, how they make sense and provide a framework for reality. Language, you can tell, is very, very powerful for uniting people. But what we're seeing here, actually, at the beginning of chapter 11, is the beginning of a great cause. It's the beginning of a great cause. You see the words here, the whole earth. It had one language, the same words as one people, they migrated together. And then in verse 3, look at verse 3, it says, And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Basically, what happens is you get this group of influential leaders, charismatic men and women come together and say, okay, here's the problem. We're growing, we're crowded, so we're moving. We're going to settle over here on this plane, and we're going to start building from day one. And it is going to be glorious. We are going to build in such a way that it is going to revolutionize the way that you think and revolutionize the way that you live from the architecture, from the cityscape, from everything, from the very ground up. You are going to be amazed. We are inviting you into this opportunity. Are you in or are you not? Do you see what's going on here? This is a movement that is called, created. This is a cause that has been started. They are being invited into this. They're saying this is meaningful. This is important. This is essential. You should join. You should be a part of this because all of us long for that cause. Problem is, the Babylonians had neglected the great cause that God had already established. The Babylonians had neglected the great cause that God had already established here. If you remember back, even Genesis 1, God creates Adam and Eve, and the very first words he says to them, be fruitful and multiply. Yeah, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, increase in number, scatter. That is the great cause that God has been calling his people to from the very beginning, inaugurated at day one. That is God's cause. Scatter, fill the earth, so that as God's people scatter and move and continue to fill the earth, they're able to sing his praises and tell other people about how good and how great God is. You know, a few chapters later, after Noah gets off the ark and the flood resides, the same words are echoed echoed to his people. God says to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, increase in number, scatter, scatter. Don't settle. Don't settle on a plane. Scatter and fill the earth. But what happens is the same thing that often happens in our own lives. The Babylonians look and hear that and they say, you know what, God's cause is getting in the way of our cause. God's will is getting in the way of my will. And that's the problem that we continue to face. 
But we see God actually intervening. Let's see how God responds to this situation. If you look down in verse 6. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Verse 7, Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. It's as if God is looking down on the people here, and he's saying, They are united. These people are united, and they are united against me. They have taken up their cause They have rejected my cause. They are walking away from me. And I need to intervene. Because here's the thing. As I'm looking down on my people and I'm thinking and I'm watching and I'm seeing what they're doing, I love them. And because I love them, I'm not just thinking about them. I'm thinking about generations of people that will follow in their footsteps. And because I'm not just thinking about today, I'm thinking about thousands of years into the future. I know that I have to intervene because these people are great. They are united and they are capable of messing up their lives and messing up the lives of people around them. And because I love them, I'm going to intervene. And that's exactly what he does. And you can just imagine... In this moment, as he, as he goes down, he's, you know, he's contemplating, what am I going to do? And, and I'm not going to flood the earth because I already promised I'm not going to do that again. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go down and I'm going to, I'm going to confuse their languages. This is actually going to be a little funny because I'm going to come down. I'm going to confuse their languages. I'm going to give them multiple languages to speak so that tomorrow morning when they go to work, they're going to show up and they're all going to speak so many different languages that they won't understand a word anybody is saying. And this will force them to scatter This will push them away. They will get nothing accomplished and they will have to leave. You can only imagine how frustrating this must be. I mean, you think about the Babylonians here. They're creating, they're they're building, they're starting this project. They're saying, God, we had this plan. We had this great plan. We were making progress and then you messed up all our plans. Some of you can probably resonate with that. I want to get this degree, I want to get this job, I want to date this girl, I want to marry this man, I want to have this life, and God, you keep messing up my plans. Or everything was going perfectly for the first time in my life. I was on the fast track to success, and all of a sudden God came in, and he messed up everything. Some of us can resonate with that, and we have to ask ask ourselves the question, could it be, Could it be possible that one of the most loving and gracious things God could do in your life right now is intervene by messing up your plans? Could it be that the most gracious and loving thing God could do in your life right now is come down and mess up your plans? You know, we all long for a cause, but we ultimately long for a cause that will benefit ourselves. You know, I realize that a lot of us um, in this room tonight... You know, a lot of us um, follow God and trust him, but there are many of us also who uh, are very skeptical, as Brian said. There are many of us who have questions and doubts and probably for a long time have not been in church. And, you know, we, we can't really say that we follow Jesus and trust Jesus, but probably all of us in some way resonate with that idea of the wearisome cycle of trying to play God. That cycle that we get stuck in where I make the plans, I define success, I am the one who who takes advantage of every situation, every job, every relationship to use it towards my advantage because I am convinced that I can do that. I am good enough. I am talented enough. I am righteous enough. I am intelligent enough. I am attractive enough. And eventually we come to that point. We come to a point. Everyone always comes to a point. 
when you lay your head on the pillow, when, when, when that dead-end relationship continues to show it's not going anywhere, when your job security no longer seems secure, it comes to a point where you begin to be honest with yourself and say, you know what, as much as I thought I had power over every aspect of my life, maybe I don't. That's because we're trying to play God when we were never created to do that. What's going to happen is God comes down and he scatters the people. He saves them from themselves. He saves them from themselves, which is the same story that we've seen week after week after week, isn't it? You know, Adam and Eve, they try to be God. They try to play God. And what happens? God comes down and he saves them from themselves. Cain, he kills his brother Abel. He deserves to die. But God comes and he saves him from himself. You've got Noah. He gets drunk and naked like a NASCAR redneck on vacation. But God comes down and he saves him from himself. And that's a cycle that comes over and over and over. And unfortunately, throughout the entire Bible, that's what we see. We see men and women who continue to take up their cause, who continue to opt out of God's cause, to opt into their own cause because they are deceived and they are convinced that they have the better way to life, that that they know more than God. We long for a cause because we were created for a cause. But there's another longing that we see here in this chapter. There's another longing that we can discern from the people here and that's going to be found in verse 4. Look at verse 4 with me again, because this cuts actually to the heart of the problem. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And here's the key right here. Don't miss this. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Let us make a name for ourselves. What exactly does that mean? Let us make a name for ourselves. Well, actually, it's actually, it's pretty simple. And it's something that all of us can relate with. Um, all of us have experienced at some point in our life. Um, think about this. Have you ever been amongst a group of people? It could be at work. It could be at the gym. It could be uh, a party, anywhere. Um, have you ever been amongst a group of people, though? And it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what story that you share. It doesn't matter what is said in general. There's always going to be one person. It's that guy or that girl who's going to be the one-upper. Have you ever experienced this? You know what I'm talking about? There's always that one person who, it doesn't matter what you say, it doesn't matter you know, what you share, they're going to be able to share something more impressive, something you know, more devastating, whatever it might be. There's always that one person that is the one upper. So you're at the party and you're like, you know, someone says to you, hey, like, I heard you did a 14er this weekend. Like, yeah, it was beautiful. We had such a great, you know, I, did I tell you I did Everest last summer? It was amazing. And you're just like, no, okay, sure. Or, hey, I heard uh, so-and-so asked you out on a date last weekend. Yeah, it was like, it was really sweet. Yeah, I have so many guys asking me out right now, I don't even know what to do with all of them. It's like, oh, big, big problems here. Like, hey, I heard you had a flat tire this morning on the way to work. Yeah, it was terrible. Did I ever tell you about the time I flipped my truck in the middle of I-25 three times? It's like, you know, you hear stories like that and you're like, this is like getting ridiculous. Good night. What is wrong with this person? Like they just can't stop. You know, and it's like, what causes that in a person? Like what, what makes someone be like that? You know, if we were to provide a diagnosis, it's quite simple. They long for a name. 
They long for a name. Like they want to feel important and they want to feel significant. And they want to feel intelligent. And, and they're going to want you to walk away from them just continually being impressed and impressed and impressed. You know, the thing is, when we look at people like that, obviously, you know, not, not anybody in here. Like nobody in here would do that. I would never do that. But other people, you know, it's easy to recognize that in them, isn't it? The interesting thing is, though, the Bible is going to continually teach us going to continually teach us is that that same desire, that longing to make their name great, that is going to be a longing and a desire that subsides in the core of our souls, every last one of us. All of us are going to have that same desire, and while we, not, while we may not be making fools of ourselves at dinner parties, and while probably none of you in this room are having a building project in the backyard trying to construct a huge tower we all long for our name to be great. We all long for meaning. We all long for purpose. We all long to make our name and our cause great. Andy longs to make Andy's name great. And why wouldn't I? I got this degree. I married this woman. I have these letters following my title. I've got this much money. I'm doing this and this and this. I've overcome these odds. I've had these experiences. Me, 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 I, I, you should admire me. You should praise me. You should lift my name up. And I need you to assure me. I need you to assure me that I am meaningful and I am great. And I think if we are honest with ourselves, we all can resonate with that same desire. We can all resonate. I mean, this happens all the time. You know, you go to work and, you know, you, you realize that your boss is watching you. And 15 seconds ago, you were trash talking him behind his back and you were thinking about how overqualified you are for the job. And then the next minute, you're his biggest fan and the best employee. Or you, or you become that girl who will do anything to be noticed by that guy, regardless of the consequences, regardless of the barriers or the boundaries that you will forfeit, regardless of the emotional roller coaster that you will be required to ride because you long for meaning. Or you will turn into that guy who will do anything to prove himself, anything to prove that he is successful and smart and intelligent, Until the point that you find yourself in his presence, always feeling inadequate, always feeling unworthy, because he longs for meaning. He longs for greatness. And we continue then to see that the same desire that provides the foundation for the Babylonians, that same desire that causes them to build a city to lay the foundation and establish a platform to make their name great, to make their city great, to promote their cause. That same desire that we see in them is eventually the same desire that we find in ourselves, that we continually long to make our name great, that we continually push our agenda and our cause so that we can gain just renown. And in the end, what happens is that the very thing that we're working to build so hard is the same thing that we end up sacrificing and destroying. The same thing that we work so hard to build is the same thing that we end up destroying and sacrificing. Let me ask you a question tonight. What is it that defines you? What is it that defines you? What is it that you, you just really want to make sure people know about you? 
What is it that makes you, you? I mean, think about that. Is it your title at work? Is it your identity as a husband or a wife or a fiancé? Is it the amount of money that you make? The things that you've overcome in your life, the businesses you've started? Maybe there are things in your life that you actually hate about yourself. Maybe there are things that you're not proud of at all, but you continue to find your identity in. Your bad habits, your addictions, your singleness, your poverty, your circumstances, any of those things. We continue to long for a name. But there's a name that we've been created actually to make great, and that's not our own. And we then can look at the people in this story. We can look at the city of Babel, and we understand that it is no surprise. It is no surprise that the people in this story will have to continue building and building and building to make their city great. And they will continue to have to make that tower higher and higher and higher because the pursuit after your own name is a pursuit that never ends. It's a pursuit that you have to continually work at, a pursuit that you can never quit at, a pursuit that you can never rest from. Or you'll never be satisfied and you'll never be content. Which is the very reason, the very reason why we need God so desperately to come down into our lives and destroy these cities that we've created for security and identity. And that's exactly what's going to happen As we look at verse 7, look at verse 7 here. It says, come, let us go down. God is saying, I am watching these people and I love them and I have to intercede for them. Come, let us go down. We are going to get involved in the lives of these messy people because I love them and I'm, I'm going to be gracious to them. Come, let us go down which in the end will be the exact same thing that Jesus does on our behalf. As Jesus is sent then into this world, the same way God comes down to intervene in the lives of these people, to scatter them for their good, for their safety, for, their, for his glory, is the exact same thing that Jesus will end up doing. He'll leave his throne in heaven and he'll come down before the people and he'll say to them, he'll offer this invitation, he'll extend to them this invite saying, you don't have to kill yourself fighting for your cause because I'm going to die for God's cause and for you. You don't have to work so hard for your name and your identity to be established. But you can rest in my identity and what I've already done for you. And that is the message, that is the story of grace that we see in Genesis 11. As we look at the city and the Tower of Babel, what we realize is that this is not a story ultimately that's about a city. It's not a story about nations or languages or countries. But like all the stories that we continue to look at, this is the story about Jesus. This is a story about Jesus breaking into our world. In the most gracious and loving way, he comes to us and he offers this invite and he says, quit fighting. You can join my cause. You can take my name 
And God being merciful then in the form of the man, Jesus Christ, he comes down. Jesus comes down. And he takes up God's great cause. He lives the life that we should have lived. He dies the death that we deserve to die. He takes our punishment. He loses his name. The name of of the righteous one, the loved one. He loses that name so that we can have it. As his people. And then as the gospel of Jesus Christ takes root in our hearts, as we receive that new mind, as we receive a new life and a new heart and a new name in Jesus, we then have the great privilege of taking our place and his cause to scatter, to scatter across the world, to scatter to entire nations, to be able to declare how good God is. How gracious Jesus has been and how merciful our Father is. We long for a cause because we've been created for a cause. We long for a name because God created us to make his name great. This is the goal of our faith. And this is the salvation that we seek. Pray with me tonight. Father God, we thank you for being so merciful. Father God, we thank you for being so gracious. Lord, as a people that are often united against you, we are united against you and we are committed to our own cause. We are committed to making our name great. Father, because you love us so much, you are willing to intervene. You are willing to come down. As you sent your son Jesus to come down to to intercede on our behalf, to intervene for us. Father, we recognize that you've given us the greatest gift one could ever give. And in you, it's that we find our life, we find freedom, we find our salvation. God, we find our name. We find our name as your children, as sons and daughters of the Most High, as co-heirs to the throne of Christ God, we give you praise and we thank you for the way that you've continually demonstrated your grace from the very beginning of your word. As it continues from story to story to story. Father God, we love you and we thank you and we give you all the glory for all that you have done. Amen.